This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This week on Hangar Talk, we say goodbye to a legend from World War II. And we say hello to the Turbo Skyline back in production. A new boss at Sun and Fun. An eVTOL prototype was involved in an accident. Finally, all the news from Gamma. Ian, are you ready to do some Hangar Talk with a special guest? Let's do it, David. From AOPA, your freedom to fly. This is Hangar Talk. The 1056 turn right heading 130, counterattack final 132.4. With your hosts, Ian Twombly and David Tulitz. This is Hangar Talk. Welcome to Hangar Talk, everybody. I'm Ian Twombly. I'm David Tulis. Now, Ian, you talk to our special guest. Tell us a little bit about them. Oh, my. It's amazing. I finally did some work um, <laughs> and got one of the interviews. Yeah, I talked to Sherman Gardner. Sherman is a former, I don't know what the right word is, preacher or pastor. Is that the same thing? I don't know. Anyway, he's one of those. Now owns a flight school with his brother, and it happens to be the best flight school in the country as determined by its students recently at the AOPA Flight Training Experience Awards. And I will say he must have been one heck of a good preacher slash pastor because I totally see the light on their flight school. I think it's, uh, uh, I was super excited to talk to him and uh, he's just got tons of passion and energy towards the school and I, I can see why they're very successful. Sounds like you are already converted. I'm glad you grabbed yeah. them, Ian. Thank you for doing that. And they were nice. I met them in person. I met the, uh, the Gardner brothers in person, and they were good guys. Very helpful. Mm-hmm. All right, so the news. We're going to start on a sad note. Gail Halverson, known to many as the Berlin Candy Bomber, has passed away. He was 101 years old, David. Maybe his story isn't totally widely known, but just a phenomenal guy. He did something really cool in the days after World War II. Yeah, and folks might want to remember back to the to the fact that the area was cut off, you know, for access to you know, basically the Allied forces controlled parts of the Berlin city in 1948. It put a lot of people at risk of starvation because they were basically cut off. And Uncle Wiggly Wings started uh, delivering candy and gum to children, and they started to anticipate his deliveries. And, you know, Halverson was a, a real pilot, Ian. I mean, he, when, he, when he was out of aviation, finally, he had amassed over 8,000 hours. I mean, this is a significant amount of flight time. Yeah. So he, I, in the years after World War II, he met, this is a great story about, he met some kids at one of the border fences, and they were super excited because he gave them some gum, and it gave them this idea to drop candy. And with his C-54, over the period of about a year, I think, a little more, he dropped 23 tons of candy from his airplane to to the children in the area. And don't forget, the children in the area were the Allied Forces' former foes. Yeah. 
So uh, this is significant to really reach out on a humanitarian effort. And he was flying all the way through the, uh, the, the year 2008. Oh, my gosh. And still dropping candy to children from a <laughs> Remos uh, G3600. And I just thought that was just a heartwarming story. And it's a shame, Ian, because, you know, a lot of folks from World War II, the, the, the ones that are still alive, they're all approaching 100 years old. And Gail Halverson definitely reached out and put the humanitarian effort into an aviation operation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, David, some happier news now for 182 fans. Cessna is bringing back the 182 Turbo in a surprise move. Yeah, Ian, you know, we've missed the Turbo Skylane 182 for about 10 years now. The $650,000 airplane is going to be made again, and that is just a capable aircraft. I wish I had the 650 large to go get one myself. Yeah, I hear great things from people who have flown them. Yeah, I mean, the low carrying capability for a 182 is legendary already, and then having that the extra added boost of that engine, the 182T, turbo engine would really make a difference, especially out west. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So if you recall, Cessna actually killed the 182T back in 2013, and it's because they were gonna they were trying to consolidate the product line and bring on a diesel version, which turned out to be a total disaster. It just never worked. I mean, they killed off the 182T in the sense of they were trying to push people towards this diesel version, and at the time, diesel was having this, you know, its, its moment. Yes. And it just... Oh, it just was a kind of a nightmare scenario. It just never worked. And so I guess now that the single engine market has has had a resurgence, they're they're gonna bring it back. It's very cool. Yeah, and I got a chance to fly the Jet A powered Cessna 172, mm-hmm. which has a lot of good things going for it, I might say. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. They really do. Yeah. Yep. But but it just didn't catch on here in the States. Now overseas is another option. And uh, we've heard, you know, heck, we had a world rounder that used a, a, a diesel-powered 172. So it's definitely capable technology. Yeah. But, you know, it's hard to argue with that power, you know, from a Lycoming TIO 540 engine and the, the turbocharger that Hartzell puts out. That's 235 horsepower up to 20,000 feet. That is God, nothing awesome. to sneeze at. That is really awesome. a capable airplane. Yeah, so they'll have some, some success with that, I think. Um, oh, hey, talking about sun and fun, that's coming up in about a month. And we, I think, had previously reported that Lights had retired. He'd been there at the helm for about 10 years. And they've been looking for a replacement, and they found one very close to home. Yeah, just across the field. So the Sun and Fun Aerospace Expo and the Aerospace Center for Excellence, ACE for short, they announced that uh, Gene Conrad is going to be the new president and CEO starting April 11th, which is just after the Sun and Fun Aerospace Expo this year. But now, Ian, they didn't have to go too far to find him because he was basically across the field managing the airport, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, right. So I'm sure they have a long uh, relationship in history because, of course, the airport and Sun and Fun have to work together all year, really, but especially during the fly-in. My favorite part about this whole announcement is the photo. You got to go online and find Gene Conrad's photo in the story because it said he's been volunteering. He's an, he's an Oshkosh native, funny enough, 
and he's been volunteering at uh, AirVenture for 34 years, and I swear he's not any older than 34. That's so I don't true. know if he started in utero or what, but um, <laughs> he's been in aviation all his life as it goes. Yeah, yeah he started volunteering when he was uh, just a baby, I guess, helping his parents out up there. Yeah, yeah, right. So we wish him all the best. And we'll be right back. Moving on to Joby. We haven't talked about them in a couple of months. They have been pushing along with the development, and now news comes out that they have had an accident, which no doubt will set them back many months. Yeah. Tom Horn reported this a couple of days ago, Ian. It was one of the prototype electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft, and it was remotely piloted February 16th. It was a test flight, as they have been doing. And the details as of this recording are still ambiguous at this point. But uh, the accident occurred at an uninhabited remote flight test base, and there were no injuries. Yeah, thankfully. So Tom, I know, has been really following the stocks and the investment of these companies because as as the market matures, that's a major part of it, obviously, of whether they're going to be able to make it or not. And he did say that the stock dropped a total of about 17% over the course of a day, day and a half because of this accident, which... I think no doubt they will come back from this. They are very well funded. Sure. This stuff is bound to happen during development. It just will push them back because I know they're racing to be the first. Yeah, they are. And uh, they, they exactly what you said. They're racing to be the first to achieve FAA certification in the EVTAL aircraft market here in the States. But, you know, I want to bring something into the picture, Ian, and, and let's talk about this for a second. Thinking about the technology that we have right now today mm-hmm. with, you know, batteries and, and, and avgas and fuel, which we're going to spend some time on fuel in a few minutes. But right now, the weight to power ratio it is just, it's hard to achieve with electric and with battery power what we already have with dyno fuel. The amount of power is significantly less electronically delivered. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the energy potential in fuel is just really good. And, and you're right, it has not been replicated yet with batteries. So... There's not a whole lot of specifics, I think, yet about these in terms of how long, what the endurance is going to be. You know, we've heard everything from they're going to be able to fly 100 miles to 30 miles to everything in between. So as we've talked about many times in the past, I think there are so many barriers to entry here from technology just being one of them. Now you get into, are people going to want to get in these things? Are they going to be able to be in downtown areas where they're most useful? How are people going to feel about the noise, which is significant? So yeah, all kinds of things to work out. Yeah. The public acceptance, if you will, I think is a a huge hurdle Mm -hmm. for a lot of folks because, you know, I don't know how good I'd feel about stepping into an autonomous automobile right at this point yeah now if an eVTOL has a pilot on board I'd be okay with it I think yeah I want someone to be able to grab those controls but totally autonomous eVTOL I'm not into that yet yeah well and you got to figure once you're hiring pilots I mean the cost it's got to be approaching helicopter cost to go across town right so like yeah. people aren't going to start to use it in mass until it it approximates the cost of the car right so like whatever it is 20 bucks to go across town or whatever the number might be it's got to be competitive or, or otherwise it's not going to work and boy you got a long way to go to make it competitively priced and then for the average consumer like you or like i if we need to get from one part of the city to another part you know how much is that going to really cost us to take an air taxi 
and how much is that going to save us? I mean, I just don't know. You know, GA is really good. If, you, if you're looking at a 500-mile radius, I think GA really shines when you're taking someone that, that far within that circumference. Further than that, it's a little bit uh, – one could make a point that it might be better to go commercially or another mm-hmm. way. But thinking about smaller point-to-point places. Yeah, but when you talk about less than 50 miles, what does that look like? Yeah, or fi- or 60 or 70, like in Atlanta versus Athens, Georgia. There's always been a big push to put a, a rapid rail from one city to the next. It's 70 miles away, and there's a lot to do in that little city. And you can pick other cities around the country that have similar setups where there's a neat little city nearby and a large metro area not too far away that how to get there without clogging the roads you know the two-lane roads and it's just there is the option for air travel but will there be takers i just don't know I'm, i'm real curious about this yeah not to mention i mean when you look at something like a train in your example new york to westchester or out to long island or something like that i mean you're talking hundreds of people Boy, that's hundreds of Jovies flying that route. I don't know. And that would then impact on the quality of life for folks who are on the ground and say you're say you're sunbathing in your backyard or at the local pool or something like that. Yes. So was there some privacy issues? There's noise noise issues. Although the EVTOLs are supposed to be less noisy. But 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 if then then again, if there are more of them, that's another topic to think about. Yes. So. Absolutely. Lots more there. One thing they're just starting to talk about at Gamma, actually, is eVTOLs. And Gamma just wrapped up its press conference showing the yearly numbers. There was very news-filled this year. So we're going to talk about a, a couple of different elements. But first, I guess, David, let's talk about the numbers. So we love getting into this and, and seeing kind of the health of the industry. And these are new aircraft shipments for all of 2021. And we've been digging into this. And, and this is, depending on how you look at it, really good news when you compare it to 2020. Or as you're doing, comparing it to 2019, okay, well, not so bad news. We're getting there. So it's kind of interesting how you slice this. Well, yeah, I'm gonna take the I'm gonna take the flip side of this uh, on the 2019 side. Okay. Um, and I'm, I'll just go ahead and start with a couple of numbers from 2019, and I want you to maybe update our folks on the 2021 numbers. But look, in 2019, which was the first quote unquote real you know, the last real year that we could look at, because 2020 was a coronavirus pandemic filled year with a lot of downs. But in 2019, the total aircraft deliveries, the amount of money was $26.8 billion. And that was an increase from 2018, which had $24.3 billion overall dollars. So what does 2021 look like compared to $26.8 billion? Yeah, so we're somewhere in between that 2018-2019 number. 2021 total billings were about 25 and a quarter billion, let's call it. So not quite yet to the 2019 number. Well, but it's, it shows promise and we're getting there. So that's good. Now, how about now? Now, that's all aircraft. That's mm-hmm. helicopters. All uh, GA airplanes, air, yeah. Right, yep. right. So what about just total airplane billings, total airplane billings? So taking out the helicopter market, yeah. Yeah, what do you have for 19? I'm looking at 2019, and its total airplane billings were $23.58 billion, and that was a 14% increase over that previous year of 2018. Mm, wow. So almost exactly $2 billion less, $21.59 billion. 
in 2021. I wonder if that's a supply chain issue, Ian, or if, or the price of aircraft have changed that much, or different models that have come in. We're going to talk a little bit in a couple of minutes about the Diamond introducer DA50 since 2019, and a couple of other aircraft have, have come into the market since then. Yeah, that's a good point because, I mean, certainly when you look at the used market, it's going crazy. And I know a lot of manufacturers are sold out. And some of the numbers that we're going to look at are sort of flat. And you wonder if they are producing at capacity and that and that the backlogs are increasing. But actually, the shipments, which is what we're looking at here, are just not being able to catch up yet. All right. So, David, let, let's dig in a little bit. Let's start with Cirrus. They, of course, are the big player. We love, we love starting with Cirrus because they are always leading the pack there lately. Yeah, they appear to have a pretty have had a pretty good year in 2021. I'm looking at a total of 528 airplanes out the door. And that is more airplanes out the door than in 2019 where it was 465 airplanes out the door. So they've stepped it up. They've stepped up. Now where have they stepped it up in 2021? Can you see any trends? Yeah, I mean it looks like I, as I recall, the SF-50, the jet is pretty flat. So again, maybe they're they're producing kind of a capacity there. They they sent 86 of those out the door. 81 in 2019. So that's very close. Pretty close. I'm gonna I'm gonna wager that the SR-20s are up because of the training market. So in 2021, they they shipped out 81. And 53 in 2019. So you're 100% on topic with that one. Yeah. And how many turbos? How many SR-22Ts? Well, in 2019, 200 SR-22Ts were delivered. So 230 in 2021. So all around, Cirrus looking really strong there. Yeah, very good. Hey, let's move on to the uh, Diamond. And you had pointed this out earlier. So uh, Diamond is also another player that we try to talk about when we talk about the gamma numbers because they're really strong. And they have twins. They have singles. uh, They even have a little bitty trainer. So um, let me give you the numbers in 2019. They sold a total, delivered total units of 233. Hmm. So 240 in 2021. That's great. Aha. Well, is that so? That's a seven aircraft total difference, and the DA50, which they sold seven is of, new. yes, is yes, new. Yes, there you go. So that could be the difference. <laughs> that's yeah, pretty interesting. <laughs> that's right. I like it. That's right. So Piper. We're going down the list here alphabetically to the next big one, Piper, okay. which, as I recall, in 2018, 2019 was really strong. They were delivering a lot of fleet orders. The training market had started to come back. They were fulfilling those orders. So I bet their 2019 numbers are pretty darn strong. Well, let's look at the 2019 numbers, Ian. Overall, they saw, they delivered, I keep saying sold, they delivered 290 aircraft for and I'm not good at reading figures, but it looks like about $260 million. Wow. Does that sound right? Yeah. Okay. So so last year, 2021, 207 out the door, um, only $236 million in billing. So down. Oh, so that's a drop in billing. Yeah. That's significant. And that, you know, that drop in billing right there is indicative of maybe some of the billings that other companies have dropped too because of supply chain issues. Quite possible. And difficulty getting parts across the board and delivering the aircraft. Because here's another thing I just thought about, genius me. <laughs> you know, during 2020, you couldn't really fly and deliver stuff to o- overseas in other countries. Yes, there are so many problems. Yes, that's right. 
So let's finish up with Textron, and then we want to go to the other news from Gamma. But Textron, real quick, 2021, I, they've been saying in their investor calls, yeah, things are looking really up. They're, they're feeling good about the next couple of years, but I know they have struggled to put stuff out the door. Total in 2021, 546 units. And in 2019, they easily trounced that with 600 units that were delivered for three point, almost $3.7 billion dollars in 2019. Wow, compared to about 3.28 billion in 2021. So yeah, definitely still down there. Um, training probably up, right? 166 Skyhawks last year. And 126 back in 2019. So the numbers were stronger this past couple of years, this past year than they were in 2019 on the 172s. Yeah. Can I say this is interesting and something I hadn't noticed previously. Bonanzas and Barons, no Bonanzas or Barons none last year. Well, in 2019, there were seven Bonanzas delivered and 15 Barons. Wow. I wonder when the last year this happened was. Yeah. I'm glad you noticed that, Ian. That's an interesting trend. Now, what about the caravans? Because that's another, that's a people moving or cargo moving aircraft. Yeah. How do they do in 2021? The straight caravan was 12, and the EX was 42. So straight caravan was 12, again, in 2019, so that's equal, but 71 for the EX in 2019. Now, you had an interesting thought about this before we got on air, and what do you think some of the purchasers are potentially waiting on? Yeah, well, it's just a theory, but with the Sky Carrier coming up probably by the end of the year... I wouldn't be surprised if if the cargo feeders, the FedEx feeders, are, are waiting to uh, take delivery of that in, instead of the caravan, basically holding off on the caravan deliveries. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, we're looking at 50 of those uh, that are already spoken for. So that might, yeah. that alone would boost those numbers pretty significantly for next year. Yep, that's right. So overall good, I think, and things definitely starting to come back. You know, one hurdle that the industry is facing long-term is avgas we've talked about this a few times access to to leaded and unleaded fuel we know that california some airports they're already stopping contracts and and not selling it there and the industry has now coalesced faa aopa manufacturers have come together and created a group that hopefully will push us towards a lead-free future by 2030 and indeed, I was at that announcement of that initiative yesterday. It came at the tail of the Gamma Numbers uh, news event. The initiative is called EAGLE, E-A-G-L-E. What's it stand for? Eliminate Aviation Gasoline Lead Emissions. And there is initiative an initiative to transition to lead-free aviation fuels for all piston engine aircraft by the end of the year 20. 30, 2030. So that's eight years from now. Yeah. If that feels like a long way off, I think that it just shows some of the realities that are, that people are facing trying to do this. So we've talked about these a little bit. So there's the, you know, the first major hurdle of course is developing the fuel. And there are a couple of players that are well along the road doing that, but of course then have to come the approvals and then have to come the agreements to be able to create it, ship it, store it, transition it, do all the regulatory approvals for the engines and the airplanes and all of that. So it's a, it's a it's a big, big hoist. And so it does not surprise me that it's a few years out. And I think 2030 is a reasonable goal. 
that uh, industry and FAA can all sort of work together behind. I think you hit the nail on the head, Ian. The transportation and of getting the fuel to the airports, the pipelines, you know, getting the infrastructure together is going to be a significant task because I guess you need to look at aviation fuels and their compatibility that we have right now versus things like 100 unleaded that we talked about uh, not long ago and we'll be talking about more in the future. But basically making sure that everything plays nice and plays nice with the existing engine technology in these aircraft. Because the whole goal really is, you know, is eliminating the lead, but we want to make sure that the transition is done in a smart and safe way that works for the entire GA fleet. Yes, one fuel for the entire fleet. Yes, very important. That's a key. The Eagle initiative is is pretty complicated. It's ambitious. We have more information, by the way, Ian. Let me just let folks know that they can go to aopa.org slash 100UL for the latest information on anything with Avgas. And a quick reminder to folks that might not be AOPA members, you should try to be a member because AOPA has been working on this fuel initiative for over 10 years. And this is an important thing to remember. This this didn't just happen yesterday. There was a big announcement yesterday, but there's this PAFI initiative that started years and years ago, and AOPA has been a constant player for at least a decade. Yeah. So, before we, we leave this topic, one thing that, that we want to make sure and mention is that this is, of course, like we said, it's in industry and FAA right. coming together towards this, this initiative, this Eagle initiative. And, and that was on display, I think, in the fact that Steve Dixon was there to help announce it. However, Mr. Dixon has decided to step down. He is on his way out. His last day is March 31st and a surprise move. Yeah, and I think it's surprising because he's you know was appointed during the Trump administration. Now I want to say it's a five-year term, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, the right. first the, the, the poor guy. I mean, the first thing he had to deal with was the fallout from this Boeing seven thirty seven Max that was still happening. That was tremendous. Um, I know there's a documentary that has just been released. I kind of want to see on that. Netflix. Yeah, yeah, called Downfall. But so he wants to return and spend more time with his family. The guy's been on the road constantly. Now, he's used to being on the road. Yeah. He was a longtime line pilot for Delta. In the Air Force, yeah. Exactly. Uh, he worked at Delta for 27 years and ended up retiring from his post as a senior vice president of global operations. And he jumped right into the FAA. And like we said, the 737 MAX, but that wasn't the only thing he was dealing with in the past couple of years or a couple more headaches he was dealing with. Yes, so many. So it, I'm sure is a thankless job it is, that they go through. It is. And I, I got a chance to say hello to him uh, briefly, but the one quote that I remember from Air Venture was when he came up to talk about, you know, what the FAA was doing. It was, you know, basically a meet the administrator section. His quote was, and this is about the flight training initiative that the FAA has started to put the kibosh on with, you know, some warbirds, some experimental yeah, aircraft and, and yeah. other aircraft that needed a letter of, you know, an LODA. So, uh, so he goes up and he says, yeah, I know it's a four-letter word spelled LODA. And so he knew <laughs> yeah. uh, he was going to get some grief there. And yes, the letter yes. of deviation authority is what a LODA is. And, and the, you know, he was addressing folks who had made, you know, homemade aircraft, experimental aircraft, who could no longer learn. Yeah, receive training in them. Right, in their own airplanes. Yeah, it's crazy, crazy stuff. 
Yeah, so we wish him the best in retirement, and it'll be interesting to see who the Biden administration nominates. That will come shortly, I am sure, and we will cover it when when they do. So, David, I'm so excited to have Sherman on the show. Uh, I think people, once they hear him, they'll understand the passion that he has behind the school and and why it'll be, I think, become very obvious why they're a winning school, because I think that passion extends to the students and they have this great flight training experience as a result. Sherman, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today, and and congrats very much on the award. Thanks, Ian. Uh, We're very honored and uh, honestly quite humbled about it as well. I I don't know a whole lot about the school, so tell me, I guess, first about about In the Pattern and and how it started and when you started and that sort of thing. In the Pattern, actually, uh, the flight school portion of In the Pattern started kind of by protest when I started (laughs) doing uh, In the Pattern. I just wanted to be aircraft rentals and acquisitions and just be some aviation services in general. I was going to kind of just roll with it and see how things panned out and how things, you know, evolved and kind of go from there. I left a 32-year career before this. I was a full-time pastor. I did youth ministry for the vast majority of those years, and so I, I worked with a lot of teenagers all those years. And so I've always been in the people service business. But I've always had a passion for aviation. Got my uh, my private license back in 1991, and then um, I've been at it all these years. And then my brother and I purchased our first airplane in 2015, and we had a chance, an opportunity to rent it out to a friend of mine. And so we bought all the right kind of insurance and everything, and, and went from there. And and uh, we kind of enjoyed that little income pop, and we thought, well, we could we could do that. Some more, and we continued to do that, and then we bought a second airplane, and then in March of 2018, in the pattern, officially started. And like I said, it started as an aviation services business, and we, I was primarily interested in renting airplanes and helping folks with acquisitions of them, whether they were trying to uh, sell or purchase an airplane. I, I wanted to get into that. And so we started there, and then I guess it was in June of 2018. 19, we actually formally became a flight school just because people kept coming to us wanting to learn. So yeah, I mean, it kind of started from there. March of 2018 to June of 2019, I fought it because I didn't really want to become a flight school, but <laughs> I have no regrets now, none at all. It's it's a lot of fun. I, all I did was teach people for 32 years. And now um, I'm actually, uh, we're actually teaching them how to fly and having a great time with it. So are you a CFI or are you just sort of own and manage the school? No, I am a, I am a CFI double I, working towards okay. getting my MEI. However, the customer comes before me, so I keep getting put on the back burner. But I instruct when, when there's a need. It, the business runs a whole lot better if I fly my desk. It works out better for everybody. But uh, yeah, we have seven instructors that we work with, and then there's there's me. I'm, I'm included in that seven, I, I believe I am. And but I have a chief chief flight instructor, and then we're just working towards you know different opportunities and different things that we can move into as we go into the future. Uh, it allows having her 
take care of the um, the flight school has helped me be able to open up and look at other things for the business as well. But like like all of these young instructors, you know, they're all building time trying to get to their next step, which most of them are going for the airlines. In fact, my son and one of our other instructors, their last week is this week, and they start November 1st going through ATP, CTP for Envoy and moving into that world. And so it's it's uh, we've actually become a really, uh, really, I think, viable flight school for for students and then also a great opportunity for instructors as well. And you have, you have, I mean, for, for a younger school, you have a pretty extensive fleet, I gather. Is that, is that true? That That's true. Yeah. We've, we've had a, right now we own 12 airplanes and that's the most that we've owned at any given time. So yeah, I mean, I say we own, we own and, or, and or operate 12. The majority of them are ours. And as long as I could keep it that way, I like it that way. It's, it just runs for a lot smoother operation for us. And so is the, I mean, that, you know, normally, I, I guess I would say that it seems like the sort of instructor to aircraft ratio is a little more balanced, but does this reflect your, your aircraft rental history a bit in that you've had the fleet already built out because you offer a fair amount of rentals and so a lot of the business re- remains rentals? We have a large amount of, of rental. I would say maybe as much as 70, 30. 30% of the room, you know, it might even be a little bit more than that, but I don't think it's 60, 40. And, and in all honesty, Ian, I, I don't know what the instructor to airplane, you know, ratio is, you know, on the national average. I've, I've always, you know, in all of my years in church work, I always had an entrepreneurial spirit inside of me, wanted to do business. And, and the opportunity arose for me and my brother to do this together. We're business partners. And Kind of, you know, I hate, hate to say it because it's probably not the wisest business moves but uh, on my behalf, but I'm, I'm kind of learning it and making it up as I go. As things come up, we, we adjust and we roll and it's, you know, it, it seems to be working. I mean, obviously, you know, now that you've received the award, I mean, it, it's, it's so clearly that shows that your customers are happy. So what, why do you think that is? I mean, what, what do you think that you guys offer that, that people seem to love so much? Well, Working in ministry all those years, all I did was serve people. And I excel at two skills pretty strong. One of them is creating relationships, and the other one's creating community. And so I work real hard at making sure that there's a good, strong relationship experience for our customers and for our team. Maybe vice versa, because if my team, you know, we have a good relationship amongst our team, then that's just going to reflect into their relationship with our customers as well, the students and the renters. And so because of that, the, the byproduct obviously is a strong community. And so we we grow the community of acceptance. And so when people come in the door, we know people's names, we know what they do for a living, we know about the family, we know we it's more about the experience for us. In fact, our core purpose, our core purpose statement for our business is experience aviation. And so when people come in for a tour and they want to, they want to, they're, they're checking us out, what I'm doing is I, I'm telling them all about aviation that they probably have already heard someplace else. And, and if they haven't and they go to the next place, they will have heard some of the same things. But my biggest takeaway I want them to know is it's all about the experience for us. We, they're spending a lot of money and a lot of their time, two great commodities that they have. 
And so I tried to tell them, you know, we're going to take care of your time and your money as for our own, and we're going to protect that. And so it's all about the experience. And so sometimes it might even include an airplane. It's it's about the community. It's about being somebody. You're not just a student. You're not just an income stream. You're you're a person, and and you and you matter to us. And so we call it the ITP family, the ITP community. People know that, and they uh, they come to uh, to expect that. And when we tell them that, like on an initial tour or something, you know, they come to us and they start training with us. That's that's their biggest takeaway. Yeah, they got they got great flight training, great experience, and good airplanes that are maintained well by really good people. But they like it because they're involved, they're included, they they matter. They people people really really like that. So is it? You see it more as sort of a day-to-day, every interaction sort of thing, or or is it fostered through events? I mean, do you do, uh, you know, common stuff as like cookouts and things like that? But I mean, do you do you try and foster it more formally as well, or is it just on a kind of an ad hoc basis? No, it's it's definitely very, uh, it, it's kind of all um, concerted together. It's it is all about the experience one on one. As you come up here in the community, in the building, during your regular flight lessons, do your regular during your regular visits through the week, but it is also those special events. Now, pre-COVID, <laughs> we were able to do an event about once a month for our folks, and since uh, in twenty twenty, you know, it was just a it was a disaster for for uh, trying to pull off any kind of community event because you wanted to be sensitive and appreciative and very aware of the situation that we were living in. When all of that went down, we, we pulled back some, but we, we're getting back to it now. We do have events. We do have, you know, get togethers and that kind of thing, because it is here again, it's, it's about the community. And so the community works a whole lot better when the community can be, get, be together. Yeah. So you, you specifically also mentioned staff and fostering that among staff. So how, when you're looking for an instructor, I mean, I suppose it starts there, right? So it starts with finding the right fit, the right person for for your group. But how do you try and foster it amongst the instructors? We foster amongst the instructors. We do a lot of things together. We have uh, weekly meetings. They're not always structured. They're not always timed. A lot of times it's, it's when most everybody's going to be there. I'll buy lunch and have lunch brought in. And so we'll have a working lunch or just a get-together lunch, just, just so everybody can uh, can be together. We also let them, let the team, the entire team, be a part of our uh, annual meeting, uh, team meeting in December for the for the next year. We'll meet in the, early in December, and we'll show them here's what's coming up this year. Here's what our goals are for for Q1, Q2, all of those things, and we get their input and we get their buy-in because we want them to have the buy-in as well, and keeping in mind that instructors, they know this as well as we know this, they are kind of a transient person on our team because we are providing the opportunity for them to be able to build those hours and, and get those get that time in so they can go on to that next opportunity. But I want it to be the best experience possible because instructing is, is very, very hard. You know, I mean, after a while, you know, the newness of it wears off and and not every student is the greatest student ever. And and so the reality of it sets in and it and it is it's a marathon for building those hours to, you know, ATP minimums or the full 1500. I mean, it's it's uh, it's grueling. And so we try to make it as, as pleasant an experience as possible for that team, 
and they truly do matter, you know. And so we attend, you know, I like to think that we're, we're generous with them, with the pay structure, and then also just letting them know that they, they do matter. And so, yeah, we, we do get-togethers. We've already had two this quarter. I feel like that the, if, if they have a good, strong team relationships with each other, that honestly just translates in and, and is a byproduct for the student and the renter as well. So you, it's funny, you, you mentioned, you know, you said, well, the, the school, you sort of make it up as you go along and stuff. But I, I think you're, you're being a little modest because you also just said, well, you have yearly planning meetings, you focus on goals for the next year. So tell me about some of those goals where, you know, the school was kind of a happy accident, I, I guess. Um, <laughs> so what do you hope to do from it now? Well, for example, this year, we're coming into, uh, are we in November yet? We're almost there. So December of last year, my brother and I sat down and we had real hard goals for this for this year. And uh, my brother tends to be uh, less at the bar way up here. And, and, and I'm, I'm more uh, less at the bar right here. And we're, you know, based on uh, conventional wisdom of, you know, we want to hit in between and or we're going to hit low, you know, but... We want to look at what reality is and based on a track record, but at the same time, I want to shoot a goal out there, but I don't want it to be just a goal, a safe goal. I want it to be a goal that's a little bit farther reaching so we can say, look at what we did, you know, and, and yeah, reality is we thought that we could do one more airplane this year, and whereas we've done one, two, three, four. Four new, four, more, four new airplanes this year, you know, to our to our, our fleet, you know, and 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 honestly, two of them are are brand new airplanes, you know, and so we look at our business model and and we like what we are, we like what we've become, and I'm a spiritual man, and so yeah, you mentioned that the school is kind of like a, a lucky accident, you know, I, I don't look at things like that, I look at it as more of, you know, there's somebody who's way more smarter than I am involved here, and so obviously. It's, it's working out, and I continue just to follow what I feel like I'm supposed to be doing. And I did not want to be a school. I think in some ways, maybe I was tired of, of teaching. <laughs> I wanted a break from teaching after 32 years of it. But, you know, subject matter can change, I guess, but you're still teaching, right? I had 32 years of practice at it, of dealing with people, and I absolutely love what I'm doing. I love seeing people come in here and being able to get what they want. You know, our customer base is just all over the map. You know, I mean, we since we're part 61 school and not a 141 school, we do get a lot of uh, variety in our customers. And so I love meeting people where they are in life and we'll move forward alongside of them instead of expecting them to come alongside of us. We, we want to meet them where they are. So the uh, to back up a little bit, this idea of fostering community, you, you obviously recognize it in yourself, you said. Is it something that when you started the business even, um, and especially the school, you sat down and you thought, okay, what is going to be our guiding principle here? Or is it just, this is who you are, it happens naturally, it's just how you act on a day-to-day basis, and, and some of that sort of feeds down through the rest of the community? Or is it, or is it very intentional and something that you set out to do? I think Ian, the prop, the answer to that is probably yes. <laughs> I, mean, I think it's probably all of the above. <laughs> um, I feel like that any organization, business, the chamber of commerce, whoever's in the lead of that, that personality of that person, how that person operates is going to naturally trickle down. 
that could be positive and negative now. And so I'm very intentional in making sure that I, I show my people what I want them to be through my example. I can, I can tell them all day long, but it works out a whole lot better if they can see it in me. And what's really fun is watching my team repeat some of the things that I have said or they have they they show a certain aspect of the training or the uh, rental experience based on what they've seen me do to me that's that's the success is that that they not only see that but they also buy into that and that has actually become part of them as well and then and then even on top of that it's fun because I do very little advertising Ian it's word of mouth you know we have a great uh, social media presence. I, I think we do anyhow. Social media is, you know, good and evil, right? But I like, I like being very positive. Everything that we do is is very positive on our uh, on our social medias. And so I never ever talk bad about our competition. I support our competition because I do believe that people will wind up where they're supposed to be, and what's going to be best for them. And so we, when we do tours, you know, we, we always uh, just give people who we are and what we can offer and then just let it go from there. Yeah, it's well, there's a certain um, confidence that goes with that, right? You believe in, in these core values and, and you show those. And exactly like you said, people will they'll accept that or they don't. But at least they, everyone's on the same page, right? Right. I feel like everything's it's, it's an equation. You got these components on this side. If you add these components with this component, then you're going to get this product. You're going to get that. That's the way it should work. And so, when I teach, when we teach flying to our students, you know, numbers don't lie. Numbers are the numbers. Power settings, air speeds, all of those they don't lie. The numbers don't lie. And so, if I look at things as, you know, I've I've done this a hundred times now, and a hundred times, this has been the outcome. Well, why should I want to change something, you know, that's core in there if for a hundred times it's proven true to me and the true result of that is a positive thing? Well, then I just need to keep doing that. So we, we uh, continue. You know, we, we improve. Don't get me wrong. We're trying to improve all the time. But at our core, we are who we are. And it's worked out, you know, well for us so far. One of the things I like about the businessman that I've become is... Uh, I still, at my core, am who I was for 32 years in my previous career. And I still serve people. I always joke with people, Ian, that, you know, my, my flock has changed. You know, my, I'm actually <laughs> teaching a flock that really does fly now. Yeah, and, uh, yeah right. They're appreciative. You know, they're very appreciative folks. And what I was referring to a second ago is my, my, my team emulates what I do and they, I can see that in them. I can see it in their eyes. I can see, see it in their heart. I can hear it in their, in their uh, inflection and the voices, uh, the passion and the commitment that they have to me and to, in the pattern is there. But not only that, it transfers over to the students and to renters as well. I, I, I rarely advertise. I'll pay for advertising on social media uh, for some big, ev- not, not even a big event, but a big happening that we've done, you know, but we, um, my, my students and my renters now, I mean, I hear well, our core values in their statements on social media, on their posts, you know, and, and how they share with, with their friends. You know, you know, you don't need to go anywhere else. You need to go to Sherman at ITP. 
they will take care of you. Sherman will take care of you. And that means a lot to me. I don't take that for granted because it, I think it takes a good while to build a good reputation, but it doesn't take any time to lose it. And so we protect that environment, this culture, and, uh, and our reputation. That's great. I'm curious, since you, since you didn't start out with the goal of starting a flight school, there must have been 100 surprises along the way, but what has surprised you the most uh, about this whole process? Honestly, I was thinking about that the other day, funny. Uh, I have a 30-minute commute if, if traffic's good. I have a 30-minute tra- commute each way, and so I do a lot of thinking a lot of times. And uh, I think it did a jaw drop to me uh, sitting in my truck going home the other day about how much money I spend every week. And I remember when, remember when we first bought our Cherokee, and uh, it wasn't long after that uh, the exhaust um, uh, we had a, a cracked exhaust coming off of the uh, off the right side of the engine. It just it just cracked at the weld, and then when it was done, and I was flabbergasted. I was it shocked me to my core about how much those parts were going to cost. Not just the parts, but the labor to put those in. And I, my, my brother and I were just you know it it was it stopped my heart is what it did, you know? And, and, uh, <laughs> now I look at those things, my mechanic will come up, my lead mechanic, Cody, who does a fantastic job will come into me and, and anything over a certain amount, he has to come into me and, and, and okay, the purchase before we do it. <laughs> and I look at it now and I'm like, eh, do it. We got to do it. You know, we got to do the right <laughs> thing. We got to take care of people. And then he walks out the door and it hit me the other day. He asked me that day. And I, was, I think that day alone, we spent probably almost, Gosh, six, seven thousand dollars just like that. And I know the jet guys out there laughing at me. Uh, you know, the big operators are, are laughing at me. But you know, in, in the blink of an eye, you know, ten thousand dollars goes, you know, it is like that I think probably has made me realize, I think, and since then I've done a lot of kind of inflection actually, just kinda of looking at myself and I thought, you know, I do like the person that I am still at my core, but I do like the businessman that I've become because I can't let sticker shock of anything, of any cost of, of a repair stop me because here again, the equation has worked. A hundred times it has proven true. If I spend money to do the right thing, it always comes back on me. I tell our young potential students when they come in with mom and dad for a tour, you know, they, they come in and they ask, they say, you know, they want to know what can we give to them. I say, I'm going to give, be able to give you the same thing that every other flight school is going to give you, or we'll get you your license. We'll get you your license. But here, you're going to have the experience, and you're going to have, uh, it's going to be a very positive experience. And not only that, I think the young people especially will learn some very valuable life lessons as they go. For example, what I'm referring to here is everything comes around. Everything's going to come around back to you. It's going to come back to you. The positive and the negative both are going to come back to you. So if it makes a difference between if I'm going to spend $5,000 on uh, a new part or try to just band-aid this one to go for a little while longer, I'd rather spend the money and have it done right the first time. It saves me money in the long run. A hundred times over, it's proven itself to me. And not only that, I go to bed at night knowing that I'm providing our aircraft, they, they're not the latest, they're not the newest, they're not the greatest, I know, but they're the greatest that they can be. And I go to bed looking at myself in the mirror and I have at least peace with that, at, you know, each night. Yeah, it's important. It's a good point. Especially, I mean, it's a great point, especially when they first start out. I mean, 
that'll be the foundation by which they move through their aviation life, right? And exactly. so whether that's they go and buy an airplane or they become a professional pilot or whatever, yeah, having that example of of doing the right thing, even if it hurts a little bit, is is important. I like to think, I've been told anyhow, that uh, we are uh, respected business by other businesses within our industry, within local community, which means a lot to me, a whole lot to me. I love being a cooperative competitor, and I want to be that. You know, if somebody comes in and another flight school with the, within even five minutes of me is the better option for a person, I want that person to go there because that's going to be the best thing for them. Am I upset that I lost a potential student? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, the business side of me is that I like for people to think that, you know, we, we do, you know, we have standards and we have, you know, a belief system that the customer comes first and they matter first. One thing that Jason Shepard says in, uh, in his little uh, private pilot blueprint is, and in speaking to a potential private pilot student, you know, you can be spending a lot of money at a place, and which makes you the customer. And so treat the cr- customer with respect, then I think that will come back on you. But not only do I do that, I do that with all of our, all of our aviation um, industry businesses in our area. You know, I, I try to be, you know, I'll pop my head in at, at, at our competitors just to say hi, you know, just to get to know them. I think, I think that's healthy. I think it's a healthy thing. Okay, I really enjoyed talking to you today, Sherman. And um, thanks again so much for the time and, and for being here with us today. Thanks, Ian. I really appreciate the opportunity to visit today. It's been a lot of fun. All right, so like I said, I, I've seen the light. If I could start over again, I'd go to Denton, Texas and, and uh, definitely train there because I, I, I think they deserve all that credit and really excited to see them win. True that. And uh, Denton is a suburb of Dallas. My brother-in-law lives in Dallas. So next time I visit the brother-in-law, I'm going to head on over to Denton and, and look at what's going on in the pattern and uh, talk to the Gardner brothers. Ian, thank you very much for getting them on board to share their story with us for this. Yeah, and congrats to them. All right, David, I think that's it. I'm Ian Twombly. Our editor is Austin Hansen. And don't forget, you can find us at aopa.org slash hangertalk and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we'll see you next time. See you next time, Ian. Hanger Talk from AOPA, your freedom to fly.